Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado, which is also home to Hartman Rocks, which is probably Colorado's best-kept secret for epic springtime mountain biking. At Hartman's, you can choose from more than 40 miles of single track, ranging from fun and flowy to quite steep and quite technical. So there really is something for everybody there. And after your ride, you can kick back in the easygoing college town of Gunnison. So get to Gunnison, check out Hartman's. The riding is really good right now. Okay, today we are checking in with the wildly talented Carson Storch about his plans for 2021, how his recovery is going from a recent injury, and how he approaches recovery in general. We also talk about his background and ascendance in the sport of freeride mountain biking and more. And one thing that is very clear from our conversation, while Carson is one of the best in the world at doing crazy things on a bicycle, I would submit that there are probably few people in the world who are simply more passionate about riding bikes than Carson. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think you will too. So let's get to it. Well, Carson, how are you today? And where are you today? Yeah, I'm doing good. I am at home in Bend, Bend, Oregon, just kind of chilling. I had an injury a couple weeks ago, so honestly pretty bored and not really doing much, just catching up on emails and doing house stuff. And yeah, <laughs> I think I have this right. You broke your tibial plateau. Yeah, I wouldn't consider it like a break break, but it's fractured. I fractured it like kind of compression fracture, got some hairline fractures down it. It's feeling good though. I've just been going to PT a bunch and uh, getting it worked on. And I'm I'm walking. Rode a pump track the other day, and I'm just kind of yeah pushing it a bit, but it's feeling solid. So I'm just really antsy to get back on the bike. You rode a pump track. Yeah, just to test it out. Would your doctors be stoked to hear this? No, but surgeons are unless they understand the sport, they go on the safe side with everything. They don't really understand. Like I was working with a, uh, this guy named Adam, he's kind of a magician. I don't even know how to explain him. He's a body worker, kind of PT guy he works for a lot of NFL teams, like gets different contracts to work on NFL teams. And he's done multiple Super Bowls as just kind of the, the guy to work on everybody. He, he contracts out with the Red Bull. So he came through and I trust him more than anybody. And he, he worked on it a bunch, got everything kind of lined up again. Just because when I did it, I got lucky. I didn't uh, pop any ligaments. That's what I thought I did because it was super painful. There's a huge pop. My knee kind of went backwards and uh, I got lucky with that. Got my MRI back. So he just kind of went through, did his wizard work on my knee and realigned everything. And it instantly felt better. And I was just like, hey, can I like slowly try and ride? And he just said, it's up to me. Like if you feel pain, you know, ease up. If you don't, then just take it slow. So I'd rather go that route of keeping blood flowing and, you know, the more blood flow, you get more white blood cell count in there and uh, it actually just helps it to heal. So yeah, against the surgeons and doctors kind of general consensus of how to deal with it, I'd rather not leave it 
sit in there and get mu- and get muscle atrophy and deal with all that. So yeah, I'm just pushing it. And if I feel pain, I, I just don't do what I'm doing. <laughs> I was actually kind of my previous life. I was a, a personal trainer and did a lot of rehab work. And that was kind of always my rule when working with people is like, if you can do an action pain-free, you're good. And for all the reasons you just said about, you know, reducing, you know, or slowing down atrophy or avoiding atrophy and the rest, there's all kinds of reasons to like, not just shut it down entirely. Now, I know we're talking in generalizations, but it sounds like you're very much on that same page. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, just previous injuries I've had like broken collarbones, you can come back from them pretty quick. And, uh, and this is kind of no different. It's mainly just a big bone bruise, like super deep bone bruise. So it's painful. But as far as my mobility in my knee, it's, it's all back. Like all the swelling went down. I think I burst my bursa sacs. It filled with fluid and that was kind of the painful part, but that went away really quick. And now I have all my mobility back. So I'm just trying to maintain some strength because crazy what a few weeks of not using a joint will do to it. So I'm just using it and my surgeon is probably not going to like it, but I don't care because it feels good to me. <laughs> I want to go back to Adam for a second. So just because I'm curious and I told you about my own background, but was he doing more of what we would call like massage therapy work or was this more sort of what we would put into the realm of like adjustments and chiropractic stuff because he's working on a knee yeah i mean he works just on your whole like he works on my whole entire body he just focused on the knee and tries to and he has a hard time explaining what he does too it's just he's worked with a ton of red bull athletes and you know has worked with the nfl for like over 10 years and gets contracted to different teams and he's really renowned and I guess what he's, he explained to me last time, cause we we're talking about how hard it is to explain to people what he does. Cause it kind of seems like foo foo kind of magic stuff, but it really works. Uh, he like started as a massage therapist and, uh, I guess he just became so good that he was finding all these, uh, discrepancies in the way everything was taught. Cause he was working like on, on people, you know, like as a massage therapist. And then I think he went to chiropractor school and with all the experience of working on people, he just kind of took all the good things from every different style of like normal chiropractic work, massage therapy, like physical therapy, and just really started to understand the body. And he just took it all and he kind of just does his own thing. And he's the only person that, you know, works on a body like that. It's really hard to explain unless he works on you, but it's crazy. Like he just knows everything. Like soon as he like, watched videos of me crash and watched me walk. He like knew that like my tibia and femur were like misaligned, which meant my fibula is misaligned. And this little muscle back there that has issues was super tense. And he just somehow has a connection to knowing exactly what's going on. And he just makes stuff go away. And then, and then he just told me like, Hey, like that pain doesn't need to be there. Just force your brain to walk normal. Like don't limp, just walk normal, heel to toe. And as soon as I started doing that after a couple of sessions, it's like the pain was kind of gone. So to me, it feels like magic, but he knows what he's doing. It's just really hard to explain like what he does. So it's pretty cool to work with that, you know, with that guy. His full name's Adam, Adam Stir. His Instagram is Master Body Worker. <laughs> All right. <laughs> seems like seems like that checks out. He's a very interesting guy and I don't know. He's just very in tune with the human body and 
I might need to get him on the podcast. Yeah, it'd be a good one. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look into this. Let's talk about what happened for this injury, if you don't mind. I mean, like, kind of walk us through. I mean, I watch your riding <laughs> just in general, and I'm like, everything you do all the time, I would get injured at every point, you know, along the way. And so for you, your kind of replay of what happened, if it's like, I did not see this coming or something happened that actually made the outcome of this not a surprise in your view. Walk us through it. Yeah. So kind of an embarrassing crash to get injured on, but I had just gotten uh, this new setup with a big landing airbag going in my backyard, which is a, you know, airbag inflates to four feet tall and you just drape it over whatever you build out of dirt. And it was the first session, had a bunch of homies over and uh, I, yeah, we just like, tested it out, screwed with the fans a bit to get the pressure good. And then I crashed once pretty hard and realized how safe it was. And then we just started chucking and I just like dove headfirst into this like dream trick that I really want to get done, uh, this year for, for this movie quarter point I'm working on. And, uh, it's kind of like a cork 720 tail lip thing. And, uh, I think a few BMXers have done it and it's not, something I am going to like claim like world's first or whatever on a mountain bike, just something I've been working on for a number of years and never had a reason to actually do it. And, uh, the first one I did, I actually almost landed it. I was just super backseat and looped out. So I did it again, got closer. And then the third time I did it, I, I under rotated it. So I landed like six thirty, and just, I'm not used to riding a landing bag like that. And just out of instinct, I put my leg out when I landed sideways and my foot just caught in the airbag and my body kept twisting and it just like twisted and folded my knee and it popped. And, uh, yeah, so that's how I did it. And at first it was scary. I thought I completely blew my knee out, like ACL gone, all of it, which is like at least like a nine month recovery. So it definitely sucked at first, but yeah, it was one of those things. Now I know, I mean, on those airbags, you just take it and you just stay on the bike and just take the impact and it's super mellow. They really don't hurt at all. It's crazy what you can do on them. So it's kind of my fault. I just got excited and started trying like the gnarliest trick that I'm trying to get done like instantly. So now I know when I'm healed, I'm just going to take it slow and try and utilize that thing and, you know, not, yeah, blow myself out again on a practice bag. <laughs> so it's kind of embarrassing, but it happens and, those things still are dangerous. You still kind of got to be on it, but uh, yeah. Say more about that. Meaning for the reason you just said, like it's a bit unnatural to not put an arm out or a leg out or t talk about, because it's, it is kind of funny hearing you, like a dude who's ridden rampage lines and like sent it hard to rock. Yeah. <laughs> gets hurt in the pillow. <laughs> Yeah. It's like, I've ridden like flat airbags, just traditional airbags a lot. And you can do whatever you want into those. Like the ma main thing you can do is hit your head really hard. Like you can, like, if you let go, catch your heels, you can slap your head and which probably everybody that's ridden a flat bag has done. And it kind of sucks, but the landing bag, you, 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 like you ride out of them, like it's a real jump. They're just super forgiving. But yeah, with the limbs, that's what I learned the hard way that don't stick your limbs out. Just take the crash. It's just super different. Cause yeah, riding real stuff my whole life, never owning a bag like this. I just didn't really know, but now I know <laughs> you just take, you just fall. If you land sideways, keep your 
keep your arms and feet on the bike and just take, take it. And yeah, so it's kind of opposite of what you want to do on a real jump, but, uh, it's just a tool. It's a tool that helps learn, helps you learn and progress. And so it's sweet. It's just, yeah, we'll take a little bit of progressing to adapt to it. So you don't hurt yourself on a pillow and embarrass yourself. Yeah. (laughs) But this is real good news. You're feeling good already. I mean, we'll make sure your surgeon doesn't listen to this maybe, but (laughs) what's your hunch? You know, who knows? There could be a setback or something, but like, what are you kind of eyeing as like, I'm hoping to be feeling good and really getting after it again on a bike. How far out? I'm about to get my second MRI in my knee next week. And, uh, from there I'll kind of know the timeline in, uh, when I can ride again. And I'm hoping, I don't know. I'm hoping total, it'll be like a month off the bike, four weeks, just mainly because all my mobility is there in my knee and, uh, just been working on it. And I'm slowly going to start riding a little bit, like might go on a really cruisy, just trail bike pedal, like no jumps, nothing. And just kind of, yeah, just kind of get on it and just push the limits. And if stuff starts hurting, I'll back off. And if not, I'll just, yeah, keep slowly easing back into it. And yeah, I think it's mainly just impacts like, uh, that will definitely harm the healing of that. But there's such small hairline fractures. I think, uh, just the way it feels, it doesn't feel broken. Like sometimes it aches like a broken bone, but it's not, not too bad. The pain threshold or my, yeah, the pain is pretty much gone. And so it's one of those ones where I feel like it's fine, but I don't want to push it. And there's no way I could like fully break it or anything like that. It was, it's just what I heard from a couple people is if I don't allow it to heal, then it will kind of just like deform, like it just won't heal and it'll cause issues down the road. So I just want to make sure it heals right. But I'm hoping, I don't know, first or second week of May, I can get back into it. And, uh, yeah, I just have too much going on this year to waste too much time. So I'm pretty antsy to get back to it. When's the last time you went on just a cruisy bike ride? No jumps. I do. Yeah. I just go just with buddies from town that, you know, that aren't Camacall or Dusty Waggle. I'll go, I'll go pedal, go just like on a trail ride or, you know, go ride dirt jumps, super mellow. I do that quite a bit. Like I like riding just to enjoy it still. I don't have to be pushing myself every day because that kind of burns me out quick. So yeah, just going to have fun and just super mellow is kind of nice sometimes. So I do it quite a bit. Depends on the time of year though. Yeah. If I'm like getting ready for rampage, then I definitely don't cruise. I just, I'm always trying to yeah, getting that mindset of just pushing myself every day. So there's, yeah, there's time and a place for it. I want to talk a bit about Bend. Y'all certainly have a bit of a thing going on these days on the bike side, but tell me a little bit about when you were first getting into mountain biking and what the riding scene in Bend was like then. Yeah, when I first got into it, I pretty much just was a dirt jump kid. Never really rode like any of the XC trails, which still exist. Like a lot of the riding in Bend is a lot of cross country. You know, there's some fun trail bike, like jump trails, but uh, it's just a whole lot of pedally, you know, up and down, super mellow cross country trails, a lot of road riding. So when I was growing up, that's kind of all there was. And uh, myself and my friend group, we just kind of poached and built little dirt jump spots around town and 
kind of the classic, you know, little Grom thing to do. And that was our scene, just making jumps and they get torn down and we'd be sad. And then we'd go find a new construction site to poach and start building jumps again. And so that was kind of my upbringing. And then when I was about 14, uh, this guy, Sam Pinner, and then uh, Chris, Chris Jameson, Jamo, that uh, one, one of the founders of GoPro, they both worked really hard to get this free ride spot approved by the forest service called the lair. And when I was 14, that's when it opened up. I think it was like 2007 or 2008. And that was a big game changer for the riding scene in Bend. And they did it right. And it was a full, you know, it was like a mini bike park, like small jump trails, like greens, blues, black diamond, like pro line, whatever, like dirt jump spots, had a couple events there. And that really like took off it made the free ride scene and Ben kind of take off at that point. And, uh, another guy, Jim Karn, he's, he's always built, uh, the downhill spot in Ben called Klein Butte. It's only a couple trails and some jumps, but, uh, that's always been a part of the free ride scene here and slalom track. It's called it's by Phil's trailhead, uh, where all the XC trails go out. Uh, that's been there for like 20 years as well. But so yeah, over the course of my childhood riding bikes and then getting to where I am now, those, the lair and slalom and Klein have always been like a staple of, you know, where to go and what to ride, you know, since then it's grown a lot and we got Mount Bachelor opening their bike park and they're killing it and got some really fun jump trails going and, uh, it's like blown up and getting really good. So that really helped the free ride scene as well. And it's always just kind of been a, a balance of, you know, we got access like for, hundreds of miles of XC trails, you know, certain, certain like trail bike jump trails exist and they've progressed as well, but it's been a, I guess, kind of a challenge to, you know, convince Coda to build progressive trails here, which is kind of frustrating, but it is what it is. And I've kind of taken a step back from that and, uh, just kind of done my own thing on private land in, in the past, you know, five to seven years of my career. So yeah, I don't know. There's a lot to it, but all in all, it's really good, really positive. And there's a big free ride scene, just a huge mountain bike scene overall. And now Bend is, you know, considered one of the mountain bike meccas in the U S and yeah. So there's something for everybody to ride here and it's just getting better. So it's fun. When you're a kid, like how soon did you really start getting drawn to spending time in the air and like, where were you going to do that? Were you just building your own jumps or that's the part I I'm curious about? Yeah. Like as soon as we started riding, like we were pretty much focused on being in the air and progression was like learning one handers and no footers and tri stars and suicide, no handers. But as soon as I started riding, when I was like 10, like riding mountain bikes, uh, I just wanted to be in the air. And at that time I raced moto like kind of in the 85, cc class as far as i got but so all i wanted to do is be in the air and idolize travis pastrana and you know just one of those groms and so it was always dirt jumping for me and you know i was fortunate enough like family had land we had access to machinery so just little kids we'd be moving dirt and skid steers and building moto tracks building dirt jump sets on the side and just yeah trying to push ourselves yeah. Pretending we're a part of the nitro circus and we were mega groms. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of always been there. And, uh, yeah. And then as you know, in the lair, uh, broke ground and, you know, started, started being rideable that really, 
that really opened up like a whole new world of like having public access to stuff that's maintained and just overall progression of it. And, you know, growing up and having a, you know, a big scene of riders of kids my age that rode and pushed themselves, uh, just had a good scene growing up and it was always about being in the air and always dirt jumping. And for me, it was never really free riding, you know, it was just dirt jumping. Even just going to the skate park, we spent a lot of time as skate park rats. And But yeah. I have to ask you one more Ben question. I feel like this might not go well for me, but <laughs> I, I, I got to ask. Yeah. I've, I've been to Bend a number of times and I freaking love Super Burrito. Oh yeah. Super B's good. But I haven't been to like all the spots because the first time I ever was in Bend, I accidentally came across Super Burrito yeah. and just fell in love and then every subsequent time I go to Ben, I only want to eat there. So I, I don't know if this is a part where it's like, you might be like, dude, you are completely missing it. Or if you kind of are, if you're down with Super Burrito. I, yeah, that's, I think that's my favorite kind of shitty burrito spot in town for sure. There's like a lot of authentic Mexican, you know, food here. And, uh, but Super B, I mean, it's not shitty. It's good. That, that's my favorite spot to get it's a burrito to go to for me. So I agree with that. And Are you lying? Are you buttering me up right now no, or is this true? No, it's actually my okay. favorite place. Like one of my best friends is uh, Hispanic and uh, he always gives me crap about loving Super Burrito so much because he knows all the like super local spots that are actually authentic and good. And I mean, it is authentic. It's just, you know, Americanized burritos, but uh, I don't know. I like it. But there also is like a pretty good food culture here and with all the breweries and yeah as bend is growing there's there's a lot of really good food kind of everywhere so but i love i love me a burrito so super b is definitely a go-to i mean i was living in new mexico for years and went out to bend came across super burrito so i feel like i mean in new mexico i feel like we're allowed to weigh in we can get a lot of good Mexican food and a lot of good burritos down there. And I still love that place. And uh, probably it has something to do. We'd usually go after like a hard day of skiing or whatever. So you're starving. It's, it's pretty solid. I like it a lot. Yeah. Moving on. I think I have this right. Crankworks 2009. Mm -hmm. Was this your like first really big kind of top tier event? Yeah. Well... It was the first time I went to one. I was definitely like still like just another kid riding no name. At that point, uh, Jamie Goldman had just moved to Bend and uh, he was the man. You know, he's competing in Crankworks, top slope style guy, top free ride guy. And uh, that was right when he kind of started letting me ride with him as a Grom and taking me under his wing. And uh, so my mom actually took me up to Crankworks and, you know, it's nice enough to rent a house and I just did whatever I could like because you can just you don't have to qualify for like the A-line race and at that point I just you know did the giant slalom because you could just sign up for it so I wasn't professional at all I just went and just signed up for whatever I could and did it all and you know didn't do good it was my first time going to an event like that but it opened my eyes and it, re it made me realize like that event like if you're somebody in mountain biking you're, you you got to be there you know and so that was the first time I went there. And then 2010 is when I started getting invites to little dirt jump contests. So I went down to Sea Otter and it's, I owe a lot of that to Jamie Goldman and Kurt Voorhees for kind of putting me on their wing, introducing me to everybody, you know, telling people that I can actually ride. I'm not some Grom that's sketchy and going to hurt myself. So 
somehow got the invite to ride like the sea otter dirt jump contest. And then Goldman had an event and he invited me to that. And that's when I started like meeting all of kind of my heroes, you know, that I looked up to like Seminuk and Zinc and Paul Bass and everybody, our dog, Arev. And, uh, and I was just, you know, I was like 16, 17 at the time. And, uh, that's how I kind of got introduced into it. And then from there it just slowly progressed. And I started competing more and did AT showdown in 2011, which for me was a huge deal. And yeah, just slowly started getting invited to small dirt jump contests. And then yeah, every year it progressed really quick. In 2012, I signed up for the FMB world tour and started doing like bronze level, small events and getting invites to more decent sized ones. And it just kind of took off from there and I just kept pushing and I was never the best. I just tried really hard and crashed a lot, hurt myself a lot. But, uh, it's kind of a late bloomer with all that. And yeah. And then in 2014 is when, uh, I had like an actual really good year. So it all happened really quick from 2009 to 2014. I got invited to Munich mash, which is a big contest in Munich. And you know, I did like 14 contests that year, but by the end of it, like I, I think I got fifth at Munich mash, which is my best result. And then I got invited to Red Bull district ride in Nuremberg and I got top 10 there. And then I got top 10 at Joyride that year. And then I got invited to rampage and qualified for finals. And I don't even know what I got, but I qualified. So that year is really what is kind of my breakout year and, uh, didn't win anything, but you know, I got that top five and then I top 10 at you know, the biggest contests there were. And then that kind of solidified me and got me to a point where, you know, the, the following year I actually got some contracts and started making a little bit of money. And, uh, and then I was, then it was full-time job. I quit college. I stopped working. I just kind of paid my way and had some actual real support for 2015. And then from there it just, yeah, now I'm here. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting to hear you like you talk about that period from 2009 to 2014 and you said it moved fast. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, as a, as a young kid, I think we perceive time differently kind of depending on age. And if you were kind of instead told a story like, Oh, it, everything felt like it was happening so slow over that five year period. But you were like, no, you, it felt like you, you kind of were in it and it was, it was all happening and moving. Yeah. Well, I guess in hindsight, it was happening really slow at that time. It's just now that I look back at it at this stage, it's like, that was only five years when I went from like just a complete Grom to actually having some legitimacy. And that was a lot of progression in five years to like build my name to the point where I could be in rampage, which was like, I never even thought that was a realistic possibility, you know, always a dream, but yeah, now that I'm just kind of talking about it in a timeline. It's like, wow, that was kind of crazy how quick that kind of took off. And yeah. I also want to ask about your first Crankworks and then also, and then meeting a Seminic and a, and a Zinc and the, and the like, if you're just like, keep it together, dude, be cool. Or if it sort of felt like this is awesome and exciting and these are the people like in the circles that I want to be in, like what, you know, tell me a little bit about if you can recall, like what was the, what was the mindset like back then? I don't know. I think I was just really shy. I was starstruck. I thought they were like actual celebrities and, uh, 
even though they're all super down to earth, humble, they just ride bikes, you know, they're just all the man, you know, but back then I was just super shy. I didn't talk that much. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. And then now, now I'm like good friends with all of them. And I don't really think of them as, you know, these big stars. And I mean, now in a, you know, not in an arrogant way, like people think of me like that. And it's like, no, I just ride bikes. Like just, I like the dirt and it's my job, you know? So they're, everybody's, you know, it's a super humble sport and everybody's cool. But yeah, my perception of them, you know, when I was a grom growing up was like, oh my God, it's like meeting Tom Cruise or something. <laughs> Tom Cruise can't do on a bike. What, what y'all do on a bike? Yeah. He's not very humble either. He's a, yeah, but he's I guess that was a bad humble. example. <laughs> it's like meeting Pastrana. You'd think Pastrana, like I've hung out with him a few times and gotten to know him a little bit just through Dusty Weigel living in Bend. And I did a Nitro Circus show in 2017 and filmed for their movie a little bit and just got to be a little bit involved in that scene, which was really fun, really cool for me, kind of like a childhood dream. We even meet in Pastrana, who's like the men of all men in action sports. He's the guy. He's super mellow. He drinks beers and hangs out and doesn't think he's hot shit. He's just... He's just Pastrana. He's just a guy, but he's also like, you know, probably an actual celebrity. He's like Tony Hawk, you know? So it's just cool. It's very, you know, gain a lot of respect for those guys when you realize like they're just normal. They just continued their passion forever and pushed really hard and they're just passionate about action sports. So it's really inspiring to see people like Pastrana be the way they are and be so humble and gives me a lot of hope for action sports because it is really cool kind of all across the board. Yeah. I like that. You have hope in it because you see the number of really good people yeah. that are at the, at the highest level. And that's, that's setting a good example. We don't always hear that about like all other sports. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's good people everywhere, but it seems like action sports is like, if you're, if you're a prick, you know, if you're super arrogant, you're not really going to last in the sport, you know, it doesn't do any good. Like, Cause everything in action sports, it humbles you. Everything's gnarly. It's scary. You can't be, can't have a huge head and, you know, do this stuff and gain the respect. And it's a pretty small world too. Like everybody knows everybody in action sports, no matter what sport it is. So it's like, yeah, that's cool. That's why I love it so much. You're describing all these folks as being so normal. And I'm still trying to square that with the fact that, I mean, when you're talking about where free ride mountain biking has evolved. I'm just going through the mental sort of Rolodex right now, but like it's certainly near the top in terms of sports where it's just like, if you're dropping an edit or any of the people we just named, this stuff looks more superhuman than just about anything out there. Right. And so I guess I'll just put the question to you. Like if y'all are so normal, <laughs> right? Yeah. How is it possible for somebody to be so normal or so well-adjusted, but also think it's a good idea to go fling themselves into the ether, right? If you're like, dude, nah, it's just you start when you're young and it just all feels kind of normal and natural. But I'd love to just hear you sort of talk about this, the, the mental part of this. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not normal at all. And it's not like, like every single one of us feels fear and gets scared, you know, but, and it also is like a lot of us have been riding for a long time and this has been our, our life and everything 
we've worked towards, you know, so just the perception of what's mellow and what's normal as far as tricks go and size of jumps and steepness or whatever, you know, it's definitely the, it's just the levels different and you get so used to something, so adapted to it. And like, for me, I just, the more prepared I am for something like rampage is the easiest example. Cause it's ridiculous. Like I couldn't just go compete like right now. There's no way I need like a couple months of like easing my way into getting into that mindset and riding every day and, and just being as prepared as I can mentally and physically to be able to just go do that. And, uh, takes a lot, but I'd say it's just like being prepared. Like you make stuff feel normal. Like you spin a drop enough times and it's normal to you. You know, you're just doing it on a way bigger scale at rampage. So you just get into that mental zone of, you know, just building, just building up your confidence with riding and getting your level to that point. And then, then I guess it does become normal. You're still scared. You still feel fear. So you have to really like think about everything and analyze everything you're doing. And, you know, but, uh, it's all just being prepared, like training, like it really is training, just riding every day, pushing yourself a little bit every day and working on new tricks and progressing. It's all just comes with just being prepared for what you got to do, you know, and like with slope style, you like really do have to train, you know, especially nowadays, like those guys that are at the top, like Emil, like Emilio Hansen and reader and everybody. It's like, they train like repetition tricks, like scare yourself every day doing stuff that's not necessarily super fun. It's all about just like trying to get that result, trying to link a run together. That's super gnarly. And, uh, yeah, so nothing about it is normal, but it's like, it's all relative to different action sports, like surfing, like big wave, big wave surfers, snowboarders and AK, you know, like everything about it is like, you just get yourself to that level and your confidence has to be there or you shouldn't be there at all, you know? So that's where it kind of normalizes a little bit but it's still never normal. It's still always scary. And you use that fear to make stuff happen, you know? All right. I'm going to spring a weird analogy on you. I don't think I've ever asked this before. As you're talking about the importance of preparation, right? You're like, you just said, it's all about how prepared you are in the rest. Mm -hmm. All right. Here's the weird analogy. So I'm started thinking about like ice skating, figure skating, where these people are doing this like impossible stuff mm -hmm. on these super thin blades but it's an it's a controlled environment to my knowledge and i don't know anything about ice skating but you know it's not like oh what's the ice like today yeah <laughs> what's the wind doing yeah right and so whether you're filming or whether you're in a contest or whether it's rampage when you are dropping into a line or about to hit a jump my suspicion is I could see like an ice skater being able to get into a flow state where it's literally just repetition. I mean, yeah, I guess they might jump a little harder or not as hard as they should have. And then they have to think about speeding up or slowing down a rotation or something. But like you guys are dealing with more variables than that. And so I guess where my question is going is like, I guess I can be prepared, but if you are prepared you still have to be really ready for these more variables coming at you than, than a really hard thing like, say, figure skating. What do you do with that? Yeah, like we're definitely never in a controlled environment no matter what we're riding, you know. 
like the most controlled I feel like is riding like a bike park, like Whistler bike park. And you're able to just lap it over and over and you're dealing with like little, you have to adapt a little bit every time, like, you know, braking bumps, you get super bad or, you know, it rains, it gets greasy. But as far as like, yeah, doing tricks and riding jumps, especially in Utah, the desert, there's so many variables. And what I mean by being prepared is having the confidence to like, not just be mentally there and like you just adapt and deal with what's coming at you the whole time. Like wind is obviously the biggest factor with everything. It changes everything, you know, and that's the scary part really with Utah. Like every, like when there's no wind, even the big stuff, it's way more fun. Like it's fun. It's scary, but it's fun. But when there's wind, it changes, it makes it not fun at all. And, uh, just cause it affects you so much out there. And, uh, well, it affects you everywhere, but there it's different because it swirls, it's a desert and, you know, there's no protection, no trees. And, uh, yeah. And it comes down to the point of like watering a lip or a run in, it changes the speed a little bit and then you have wind and then, you know, then you have your pop and yeah. So that's something you just have the confidence and you're on it and you get in that, you get in the flow state, you know, when you're practicing and it just, yeah, just that event really pushes you to your absolute limit every time. That's why you got to mentally prepare for so long. Cause you know, you get eight days to dig Four of them are mandatory dig days. And then there's a mandatory break day. And then the last four days is practice and digging. So usually it's like you like ride in the morning till it gets windy. Then you dig all day and then you try and just like hammer in, try and peck stuff off at night every night. And it's just like so much going on and so much stress and anxiety and pressure, like self pressure, pressure from the outside and timing and just trying to get everything done, cramming it in. And then, and then, you know, after that fourth day, the next day it's, you do two runs and it's like the biggest runs of your life. And so it's like just a ton of pressure and there's a lot of variables and wind being the worst one for sure. <laughs> Doesn't matter who you are. It sucks. Yeah. And I was just talking with Casey last week about that same thing. And she was adamant on that point. And okay, so let's talk about wind. I mean, what do you do then? I mean, you're the one who just got done talking about be prepared and the like. So like, I've never really heard of people going out like, oh, wow, it's a super gusty day today. Let me roll out to the jump park and sort of practice in a really windy environment. Is that actually something you do? No, I, I kind of grew up riding in the wind. Like Ben's pretty flat and windy. So I got kind of used to riding in the wind. Like I can, and there's little, you know, stupid things. People don't know. Like if it's windy, you're like competing on a slow style course or it's windy. You're, you know, you have pressure with timing. Like you got to cram your, like you got to cram your practice. And like, there's been a lot of times where we'll just like flip a jump first try. Cause it's safer to flip it than it is a straight air, you know? And, uh, so there's that stuff and yeah, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that, but yeah, nobody really wants to practice in the wind. I mean, to a certain extent you can't get around it. It's if it's too much, it's too much. If there's like a little bit and it doesn't affect you that much, but it gets in your head, then that's something where like you just got to like get it out of your head and just deal with it. Then at rampage, like before you drop, you get like, I think it's a 10 minute wind window. You're looking at the flags and it's the worst feeling ever. Cause it's just the desert, it swirls. And, you know, the last zone was 950 feet of elevation. So you're at the top and you're looking all the way down your line, looking at the closest flags. And it's like, you know, the top one will be windy, but the bottom three are chilling or like 
any combination of it. And it's like, when do I drop in or do I have a lull now? And by the time I get down there, it's going to be windy on a 35, 40 foot drop that I want to spin, you know? And it, that's when it really gets in your head and you get, yeah, crazy butterflies, anxiety, and you're just constantly trying to just breathe it out and just calm down. Like you want to drop in like all adrenaline out. You want to be focused. So yeah, it's a giving anxiety just thinking about it. It's just a gnarly event, but you're giving me anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> that's what goes through your head and you're tripping. You're sick. Like you're the top six, the worst you've ever felt. You'd rather work at McDonald's that day, you know, but then, you know, if you play your cards right and you get through it, even if it's windy, you make it and you get down to the bottom. It's the best feeling ever. It's kind of like the like epitome of good feelings. Like that event, there's nothing that feels better to accomplish that after working your ass off that long, picking at rocks, building, you know, whatever you're building, moving a crazy amount of dirt. It's a really fulfilling feeling for sure. That's hard to explain unless you do it and accomplish it and get a rundown. Like whether you do good or not, it feels good when you do good at it. It's like probably the best it's yeah. The one time I got podium and best trick, it was the best feeling ever I've ever had on a bike. Yeah. So that's the kind of the feeling you're chasing, you know, it's like the passion you're chasing. Like you're not in it for the money for that event. You're in it, you know, for the, for the pride and the, you know, your name will go down the history book and it's just a big, big event. It's a big deal for everybody. So, yeah. I'm glad you were getting anxiety while you were talking. <laughs> Cause I was too. See, that's why we're normal. We, we have feelings. We're not super human. It's, it's shit's scary. No matter what, if somebody says yeah. it's not, they're lying because it's, it's scary. <laughs> so let me ask you this and then I promise we'll move on. You know, if you're talking about, say, take even the top 20 or 30 riders, how much would you agree with this statement versus saying like, nah, that seems overly simplified? If you have, let's, let's call it the top 20 folks in a given year, all really talented people, but if somebody just happened to be the best at adjusting in real time as you're coming off a lip or hitting a drop, it seems like the person that does the best or has the most native ability to adjust to the wind, I don't know, wins? What's true or false about that? It's not. I mean, everybody can adapt or, you know, when you drop in and you have your line set, you're going to do what you want to do no matter what, you know, and you're just hoping the wind's going to be good. So there's not a lot of adjusting. You can't just, you know, well, you can adjust you have instincts and you have experience you know you're like pulling a flip off a step down and honestly tricking stuff like flipping or spinning stuff in the wind is way better than straight airing but i feel like rampage it's like doesn't matter how good you are at tricks it's about experience you know and uh that's why seminuk has won it three times and sorgi's won it i think three times kyle straight's won it twice because it's experience, you know, it doesn't matter how, how good you are at tricks like that adds to it, but it's more about like line choice. And there's a lot of thought goes into everything, like what you're building, like thinking about the wind, thinking about, you know, where the judges tower is and how, how it's going to score up to everything else. And, uh, thinking about amplitude and having, you know, stuff that's, you know, big and progressive, you got to have that. So it's, I'd say it's like more of a, it's more of a mind game, you know, like, Semnuk's smart and he is really creative and you know has a lot of experience and like I'm feel a lot more comfortable there because I know what like my strengths are and I know that I want to 
kind of set myself apart from everybody else in a big way and like my line choice and you know maybe tricks are similar but what i'm doing it on it's like i want to represent like big mountain free riding and i have a big snowboard background so i have a lot of influence with snowboarding and riding shoots and uh so that's kind of my strength and uh yeah, it's just, there's just a lot of factors to think about. And basically you're just representing the way you see free ride mountain biking with your creativity when you build your line and ride it. So everybody can adapt. It's just, uh, definitely a matter of luck too. luck. Like when you're dropping in, how you're going to get judged. The judging is always hard. You know, like you drop in super early, you're bound to not get a good score on your first run. So it's just a lot of luck, luck timing. And then also just performance, you know, if you kill it, you kill it. And you'll, you'll earn it. But, uh, yeah, there's just a lot that goes into it. How much snowboarding are you doing these days in a given year? Well, it's kind of embarrassing. I didn't go up one time this year, which I've never done in my whole life. What's up? I've just been busy. Just headed to super burrito instead. (laughs) I I built a house this past year and moved into it in January. And then I've just been crazy busy and my season never really ended. Like as soon as I moved in, I started traveling, went to an event, like a free ride event in Mexico and then had film trip after film trip until I got hurt. So I just never really got a chance to snowboard. I did go timber sledding a few times, which is super fun. Uh, and I'm really into that. I'm going to build one, I think this year, a timber sled. Yeah. Like a, a snow bike, like a moto with track with a track on it, you know, and I got super into that. It's really fun, but yeah, no snowboarding, which is crazy. I've never done that. Cause I was the girl I'd go up a hundred days a year, like throughout my, middle school and high school time. It was like a hundred days a year and I competed and everything while I was riding bikes too. And, uh, yeah. And then this year's the first year I haven't gone up once. I'll probably go up to hood this summer and ride, ride the park with all my buddies at least. (laughs) All right. I want to hear you talk a little bit about slope style. We've talked quite a bit about rampage and then there's all the filming you do. I guess I'm curious about, we've talked a bit about some of the injury stuff and unsurprisingly, turns out injuries are part of this field you're in, right? And so does it feel easier to you or just different to sort of define boundaries for what kinds of risks you're willing to take? when you're say filming versus competing in rampage versus competing in a different, you know, slope style event. Yeah. Like my priorities have shifted from slope style. Like a few years ago, I just kind of got out of that scene and I call myself kind of lucky to get out of it. I, I loved competing, but it's tough and it's scary every time. And you know, that's where you don't have any control of the variables. You know, it's like you're in Europe and they have like live TV going and they just, you got to drop, you know, and it sucks and it's stressful. Uh, and it's also just any sort of judge competition is, uh, is difficult and it's frustrating, you know, like, you know, getting screwed on scores or whatever, and your livelihoods dependent on results, you know, and kind of like 2016 was the last year I really competed in slow style and did as much as I could. And then that's the year I got third and best trick at rampage. And then that shifted my whole career and gave me the opportunity to focus on filming and, you know, renegotiate my contracts that weren't based on results and incentives and more based on like, like movie parts and media and 
So it fully just shifted my whole career into a direction that I didn't know it at the time, but is like what I feel like I need to be doing. And what was my calling is like just riding, free riding, filming. And then 2017 is, you know, when I held my own event, held a Fest Series event with my buddy Kyle Jamison and went to the North Pole, filmed a movie for Red Bull with Zinc and Tom Van Steenbergen and the Bear Claw and uh, did a couple other movie parts, you know, that year. And, uh, and that's when everything focused from my priorities from slope style to filming. And then Rampage has always been the biggest priority. Like I'll push myself filming as much as I need to. Depends on what it is, you know. Uh, but you definitely push yourself, like maybe not to the max because in, for me and a lot of us, it's like, you don't want to get hurt before rampage, you know, but then when rampage comes is at the end of the year. And it's like kind of the thing that you put it all on the line for, cause it's make or break, like make or break your career, you know, set you up for the rest of your career. So yeah, I don't know. In a percentage wise, let's say filming, if it's a big movie part, you know, push yourself to like 80%, like you know, kind of go for it. But then rampage is like, you know, there's no excuse not to just put it all on the line as much as you're comfortable with. And, uh, yeah. And then slope style, like I do the odd slope style contest. And I'm super, I just have fun with it. I don't care about results anymore. I just do it to just ride with all my friends and just be involved in it and stay kind of tuned up on the slope bikes. You always end up pushing yourself. Uh, but it's not really a priority. Like I still love like doing tricks on my slope bike and filming them and just riding, but it's not like a priority where I'm not chasing that goal anymore. It's more, uh, more just free riding and representing my sport as much as I can and trying to get into movie projects. And, uh, yeah. That's a great answer by the way. Yeah. Thanks. That's a great answer to the question. Can we talk a little bit more about black Sage fest? Yeah. Just in case people don't know, or like talk about sort of, what was the original kind of motivation to do this and where are you hoping it goes? Yeah. Like, uh, in 2017, Kyle Jameson, my good buddy moved up from Santa Cruz to bend with his now wife. And, uh, you know, he, he held a cruise fest in Santa Cruz the couple years before that. And I kind of convinced him to move up to bend because I had access to all this land, like this, moto track facility with a bunch of land and he moved up. We just built the course, you know, got, got support from 10 barrel brewing and I signed with them as an athlete. And then they ended up like sponsoring the event and kind of being the title sponsor. So we got some big support, built the course, did the first event. It was super fun. Invited all of our, you know, friends from around the world, Canada, U S everywhere. And, uh, yeah, it did really good. And then we ended up doing it in 2018 and 2019 and then last year COVID happened and we couldn't do it for a lot of obvious reasons and then this year kind of same thing and uh yeah just at this point we're just kind of taking a break from it for now so we're not doing it in 2021 Kyle is pretty focused he started his own excavation business and uh he's pretty focused on that just had a kid and I just kind of needed a break from it and kind of a reset. So yeah, we're hoping to, you know, do something in the future, whether it's me or Kyle or both of us together again, but we want to keep it going for sure and might change up the location for it. So it's kind of all up in the air right now. And, uh, just the way this past year and a half has been, it's just, you know, made it so certain companies, they, they can't, it, they can't invest in events and we can't really have spectators yet. It's still weird, you know? And, uh, getting international guys over here is weird. So 
that's kind of, that's the main reason why we haven't done it. It's just not worth it, not justifiable for the companies that are investing in it. And uh, yeah, if we can't do it the way we want to do it, then there's no point in doing it, you know? So that's kind of where we're at now, but it's cool. Like it created a legacy and helped the free ride scene and bend and got a lot of kids out there. And at the same time, that's when bachelor started like investing in the bike park and building it up. And I felt like it did help like really grow the free ride scene and put bend kind of spotlighted bend on the map of free ride, just because we had a lot of people traveling here from all over just to watch black sage. And then in turn with the bike park, it just, you know, all kind of spiked again because there's a period of time in my career like 2012 to 2014 kind of where I had like nobody to ride with I was competing and I was just practice by myself and not really any scene and all the kids I grew up with kind of grew out of riding bikes I got cars and girlfriends and got over it and kind of the dirt jump free ride scene kind of died in bend and then there's just been a really big resurgence the past few years and it's uh now it's bigger than it's ever been. And the amount of talent on the hill at bachelor at the bike park or at the local dirt jump spots, like the lair is huge, bigger than it's ever been in Ben. So it's really cool to see. And a lot of people are moving here obviously. And, uh, yeah, so it's just growing in a cool way. And I definitely am not trying to give black sage all that credit. It was just cool to see, like, I think it inspired a, you know, uh, the next generation of kids and along with bachelor killing it with the bike park, it's just, you know, now it's just cool to see how much talent there is and how much passion there is. And with these new generations of kids. Yeah. <laughs> kids these days, man. Yeah. It's, they're getting younger and better, younger. It's crazy. What they can do at 10 years old is a lot more than I could do at 10 years old. And then they got bikes that are way better now too. Even from, I'm not even that old and it's, I'm not old at all. And it's like 10 years ago, the bikes are, were way shittier than, than, than they are now. Yeah. So it's cool to see though. So sports grown kind of everywhere and bend is yeah. Free ride scenes grown. So it's cool. Let's talk a little bit more about the rest of 2021. You've got this feature film quarter point trailer is out or teaser is out. It's gorgeous. I was telling you that when we hopped on the call, man, it's well, probably you deserve some credit, but I think Clay Porter deserves some credit too. Um, it just looks beautiful. Yeah. Clay's the man. Thank you. And so, but it sounds like you're still hoping to bank some, bank some more footage for that. Yeah. We're going to, we're on a mission to finish it this year. It's been just turned into such a long-term project because of funding and this and that, but also it's kind of been a silver lining because we've had all the time in the world to, you know, compile a crazy amount of footage and with clay, he'll be able to make, you know, hopefully the best product that he's ever made. That's his goal, you know, just with the amount that we filmed. Like right now we're like probably 70% done filming the movie. We still got quite a bit this year, maybe 60% done. And uh, he, he says right now we're sitting on four death grips worth of raw footage. It's crazy. It's like we've forgotten how much we filmed over the past three years. Yeah, so it's a lot of footage and we got a lot more to do this year. And then for us as a passion project, like whether we get these deals we need or not, we're going to just try and finish it and just get it out there this year. So that's why, yeah, a lot's riding on my knee because I don't want to push this out another year. <laughs> I want to get it out. Well, it's, it's interesting on the one hand that you say you've banked so much footage already but then you're also like, well, we're 60 to 70% done, which 
I take it just means you guys have a hit list. It sounds like you got enough stuff. You could declare things done. Yeah, we just have a couple more segments that kind of diversify the film to finish. And uh, yeah, and then, yeah, the teaser release is just a teaser. It's not even a trailer. It was just something to announce that we're doing it. So hopefully this summer we're going to release a full trailer once we kind of know more of the deadline when we want to actually release the film. And uh, yeah, so we're getting there. Yeah, it's just been a lot of work. It's been kind of full time and it's hard to in this day and age of social media to like keep so much stuff hidden and secret that I've been doing the past three years, but it'll be worth it in the end, whether bike companies uh, agree with that or not. It's, you know, something that'll live on kind of as a legacy piece. So, so I'm stoked on it. And Clay's the man. He's probably one of the best filmers and editors in the action sports industry. He's crazy good and so much talent and creativity. So I'm lucky to lucky to be working with him for sure. Stoked he lives in Bend now. Yeah. What else for 2021 then? I got another video project I'm hoping to do this year in between filming for Quarter Point. And that'd be on the Oregon coast. That's some land I got access to. And uh, I'm hoping to, while my knee is healing, to go start the build for that and uh, kind of stay productive and start that. And so that's a big video project. And then in between that, I got... I don't know, just random things, film projects, appearances, stuff to do throughout the year. And then Rampage, I think, will hopefully happen this year. So refocus back on that again. And uh, so, yeah, it'll be a busy year for sure. Have you heard anything more official about Rampage I haven't seen any kind of update where like an official statement like we we think we're a go or we are hopeful, but we can't, you know, yet say, I mean, obviously everybody, all of us are paying attention to a number of variables still. Yeah, I, I'm not really supposed to talk about it yet, but I think they're going to release something soon and, you know, we're still kind of in the dark about it, but. I don't know. The most that I can say is probably I think it's going to happen. So however that works out, I don't really know the details and I'm not really supposed to talk about it or the dates or anything, but, uh, I think, I think it's going to happen this year. Okay. Yeah. You can just say, you know, stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. You'll see probably in a couple weeks they'll release something. So, yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, here's the point in the conversation. We often end these conversations and you know, you're nursing a hurt leg. We don't have to do this if if nothing really comes to mind. But we have, have been asking this question at the end of episodes, like, what's your big idea? If nothing really comes to mind, that's fine. But if you're like, you know, I'm glad you asked because I have been thinking about dot, 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 dot. I guess it might be kind of vague, but I guess my big idea and big goal for my career is just to you know, keep pushing myself and keep pushing the sport and trying to transcend the sport and where it is now and look at guys like Cam Zink who have transcended the sport and Brandon Semenuk and uh, Travis Pastrana, what he's done for action sports. It's just like my big idea is to give back as much as I can to grow this sport and make it more relatable to the mainstream audience and get people into it, get people psyched on it and whatever that is. It's just... I just still have a lot of big ideas and for myself with writing and 
you know, although I'm about to turn 28 and, you know, a lot of people ask me, oh, how long are you going to do this? You know, it's like, as long as I have the fire under my ass, I'm going to keep pushing and keep trying to transcend the sport and trying to grow it. And whether that's locally or globally or whatever it is, I just want to keep pushing because it's my passion and just want to get more kids on bikes. And that gets me more psyched than anything is seeing kids on bikes and having fun and feeling that kind of magical feeling of having something like that to, you know, release yourself with and uh, just having that passion. So I just want to grow the sport and, you know, get it to the point where it, it is like a skateboarding or a surfing or, you know, that size and that accessible around the world and that much fun for people. So that's kind of my goal, whatever part I can take in that. I just, that's kind of my big idea to keep working towards. I like it, man. Well, Hey, I should let you get back. Well, maybe I should let you get back to some emails. I know today's an email day for you. Oh God. I probably shouldn't say that because I'm not emailing a lot of people back. I'm just over it. <laughs> well, you can use me as an excuse, maybe. Be like, hey, I would have loved to have written you back. We're productive. I was productive today, you know. I want to I wanna be riding. It's driving me insane right now. Just mid-season reset kind of sucks because I was riding so much and getting so much done. And then it's just like, boom, like, halt it, you know. <laughs> so it kind of makes me... It's kind of fearful, like, God, I got to restart again and work my way back into it. But it is what it is. It's all part of the sport. So I'm just antsy. That's why I'm so sick of emails. It's like, I don't want to be doing this. I want to be riding my bike. But dude, I think that's fair. I also think certainly one thing that comes across clearly in this conversation is, you know, when you were just talking about, I just want to keep growing this sport and your fire is clear given that passion and given that fire, I, I know how much it's killing you to not be riding like you want to be riding right now. So, um, here's to getting back out there quickly and a quick recovery and doing it safely, right? Like in a way where you're not going to set yourself back, you know, and, and I know you'll, I know you'll handle that, that dance, that dance well, but fun to talk today and, and cool to catch up and hear what you're thinking about and doing. And yeah, selfishly i hope you heal up well because i can't wait to watch quarter point when this thing is when this thing is done so um thank you yeah good luck to you and clay and the little bit i've seen so far is gorgeous so um yeah man keep it keep it coming thanks man i appreciate it thanks for having me on yeah man well hey i'll let you get going and uh hope to talk to you soon for sure yeah have a good one well, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. Thanks to Carson for the conversation. And be sure to check out the teaser for Quarter Point, which will have that video embedded on our site, and there will be a link in the show notes to this episode. So be sure to check that out. It's gorgeous. I also want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, Please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again real soon.